Amen. All right. Well, hey, how many guys, speaking of the rapture, you ever run across in your dealings with people out there in the world or maybe even your family or coworkers and they, 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 they mock and scoff at the news of the rapture? If you do that, I don't know about you, but I attract them like flies. Okay, apparently. And, uh, but, but here's typically what they say. Oh, you Christians have been saying for how many decades, you know, Jesus is coming back and you better get ready and the rapture's imminent, but nothing ever changes. It's the same old, same old. There's no signs whatsoever. Have you heard that? Now, the irony is this. Those people saying that with that scoffing attitude, they're actually a sign that's getting close. <laughs> I didn't say that. God did. Let's read this passage. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 7. First of all, you must understand when... In the last days, oh, if only Andy knew in the last days what it was going to be. Uh, it's what? Scoffers. Scoffers would come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And here's what they're going to say. Does this sound familiar? Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Does that sound like today? Folks, that's, it's happening right before our very eyes. A sign you're living in the last days. Now listen, here's why they do it. Listen, but they what? What's the word there? Deliberately forget. I'll get to that in a second. That what? Long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, right? They deliberately forget that God judged this planet with a worldwide flood. And guess what? He's going to do it again, this time with a different one. Uh, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for the fire, okay, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men, okay? Now, let me elaborate on that phrase there. Uh, deliberately forget. Now, basically, that's kind of a nice way in the translation of saying, basically, dumb on purpose. It sounds harsh, but that's literally what's going on there. You're being dumb on purpose for what? You're scoffing, ignoring the evidence that God judges planet the first time with the worldwide flood, and there's tons of evidence, but no, no, no. You're dumb on purpose. I ain't gonna believe it. I don't wanna look at it. Don't show me the proof. No, no, no. That God is gonna do it again. And the irony is this. That attitude that's being dumb on purpose, don't confuse me with facts. I don't even wanna go there. I'm just going to scoff and mock. It's a sign that we're in the last days. Do you see it? There is no sign. You're the sign. (laughs) But the crazy thing is, listen, uh, if you stop and look around, that ain't the only sign that the seven-year tribulation is getting close, okay? In fact, how many guys have seen this video recently? Watch this. It could be the world's tallest moving statue ever, towering above us and above its predecessors. Monuments and memorials, public art in all its forms has been around for centuries. Iconic must visit tourist attractions, and we, this reporter included, just can't resist snapping selfies. It's gigantic, and it's unusual, and it's magnificent, and it uses technology actually to celebrate humanity. It's a giant, more than 10 stories high, wrapped in an LED skin. It moves its head and its arms, too. The designers say it's all about human potential and a greener future. The world has to change, and the giant wants to be part of this change and inspire people to reach their full potential and help save this planet. Their goal put a colossal statue in 21 cities, each one highlighting the giants in their community. It's going to hook into the communities and it's going to offer something really positive and, and also something fun and also something inspiring. And no need to take a traditional selfie. The giant does it for you. And after the year we've all had, reconnecting locally and globally is exactly what we need. Now, guys, the whole idea is that the giant, these giant statues will showcase giants in their communities. Well, we thought we would highlight and showcase one of the giants in ours. Take a look at this. 
It's Al on wow, the giant statue. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love you. it. I've never seen you so that's tall. That's so cool. And or thin. So you're on a do so you're on a Doppler radar, and yeah. now a that's pretend. A little, I would I would go and visit that. I'd take a selfie Wait, with that oh, giant. That's really cool. Yeah, that's cool, and unbelievable. So let me get this straight. It just so happens to be popping out right now as we sit here. Giant images of anyone you want. They're going to dot them all over the world. You can scan it, make it the image of anybody you want. It moves its arms and head. It speaks. And I wonder if that's a sign of anything to come besides the scoffing. Well, shocker, if you read the Bible, I kind of think it might have to do with something like this. Let's take a look. Revelation 13, 11 through 15. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. This is a false prophet inspired by Satan. He exercised all authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, on his behalf. He made the earth and its heavens what? Worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. And because of these signs, he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, the Antichrist. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And what? He ordered them to set up a what? Image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And he was given power to give what? Breath to the image of the first beast so that it could what? Speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Gee, I wonder what kind of global image that the false prophet's going to come up with in the seven-year tribulation to get people to uh, worship and bow down to you, just like in the days of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the 100-foot statue. You thinking this is my chance? Now, I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord, but I'm wondering if that's not part of the program amongst other images that he's going to get people to worship on a global basis. It just happens to be happening now. But hey, there's no signs. Where's this coming? There's, no, there's signs everywhere including people scoffing. And that's why, unfortunately, these people persist, even with all these signs around us, folks. I, it's hard to even keep up with them. Every week, it seems like there's another one, there's another one, okay? And guess what? If you're not saved, you're on the risk of being left behind, and you're going to be thrust into the seven-year tribulation. That's not a joke, okay? You need to wake up to the signs and get saved if you're not. And that's why we're going to continue our study, Are You Ready for the Rapture, okay? And uh, this, again, is where a study I call where the rubber meets the road, man. You can get all kinds of things wrong in life, but please stop being dumb on purpose, okay? Don't get this wrong. Don't get the rapture wrong. Make sure you're born again so that you can depart uh, and be rescued from that horrible time frame. Now, so far, in order to help people, hopefully, to be prepared for the rapture, we saw six things so far about the rapture. We saw the basis of the rapture, the importance of the rapture, the purpose of the rapture, the reward of the rapture, the timing of the rapture. And then the last two times, we began to take a look at the objections to specifically the pre-trib rapture. And believe it or not, we base not just our teachings on the rapture, but specifically also the pre-trib position because it's coming straight out of the Bible, right? We're not making this up. We're not guilty of escapism, right? But still, even with all this biblical evidence of not just a rapture, but the pre-trib scenario that we leave prior to the seven-year tribulation, we still got these scoffers who are being, with all due respect, dumb on purpose, right? And, and they're making up these basis claims as to why, oh, you got to reject the pre-trib position, right? And we saw uh, already, they say the word rapture is not found in the Bible. That's why we got to re reject it. Uh, the rapture is not a secret event. Well, who said it was? You did, not us. Uh, and then last time we saw the pre-trib rapture, they say it's not mentioned in a single verse. Uh, really? How about Romans chapter 5? How about 1 Thessalonians 1? How about 1 Thessalonians 5? That we are saved from, rescued from, not appointed unto God's wrath, which last time I checked is the seven-year tribulation, which is the pre-trib scenario. Oh, and then you know, a single verse? How about Revelation 3.10? Right, where Jesus specifically promises his church that he will keep you from that time that's coming upon the whole planet to try those on the earth. That's the seven-year tribulation. It's a direct promise. What do you mean there's no verse? Which one do you want? Then we say, oh, the pre-trib rapture, we've got to reject it because it produces laziness. 
Uh, No, it's actually your position that produces laziness because you put the church in the seven-year tribulation. And when you put the church in the seven-year tribulation, then you could time the rapture accordingly. You know exactly what events are coming down the line. It's your position that produces laziness, right? Rather, the preacher rapture says, you don't know when. So guess what? You don't got time to be lazy, right? He could show up in any minute. You got to be fruitful. You got to get the gospel. It's the exact opposite, right? It's just a false accusation. Then finally, we saw last week, uh, they say the pre-trib rapture is a recent teaching and it's got to be rejected. And they say it only appeared on the scene recently in 1830 from John Darby getting this from this Margaret McDonald girl and, and, and we got to reject that. It's just a spurious teaching that crept into the church. Blah, blah. Really? Well, if that's your basis for rejecting the pre-trib and that's not true, we'll see that again today. He didn't get it and we don't get it from 1830, Okay. Last time I checked, we get it from the Bible. But if that's your basic, we got to reject it because it's re- then you must reject the pre-wrath position because that came out in 1990. Last time I checked, for those of you hooked on math, that's 160 years later after 1830, which is a false, but that's your logic. Or we also, according to your logic, uh, other biblical doctrines that we hold dear because of the Protestant Reformation that freed us from the ecclesiastical cover-up okay, of the Catholic Church, they rediscovered doctrines like grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Okay, and the Bible alone, uh, am I supposed to reject those? Those came out in the 1500s. Or rather, just like those classic teachings that were rediscovered in the Reformation from being covered up by the Catholic Church, could it be that the pre-trib position and the rapture teaching was there the whole time? It just recently was rediscovered when the Protestant reformers broke away from the Catholic cover-up and had the audacity, according to the Catholic Church, to translate the Bible in English so anybody could read it at the expense of their life, of being hanged, burned alive, drowned, tortured, beaten to death. And then when you read the Bible, guess what? You come out pre-trib, pre-mill every single time. I think that's what's going on. But again, these people, with all due respect, to use that biblical phrase, dumb on purpose, they, they persist. How much evidence, we're just quoting the scripture and then we're taken logically, philosophically, and biblically at their so-called accusations against the pre-trib and we're examining it, right? And this next one that they come up with, they say this, oh yeah, well, okay, John Darby still got it from this Scottish girl named Margaret McDonald. How many guys heard that? Okay, uh, and so that's, that's the question. Did John Darby really get this so-called recent teaching of the pre-trib rapture from a Scottish girl named Margaret McDonald in 1830? Not even close. This is where we left off last time. This is one of the biggest lies uh, out there. I, I just, it, it's crazy. And then when you begin to examine it, you're going like, are you serious? This is your so-called nail in the cuff, and I got you, pre-trivers. <laughs> it's the biggest joke of all. And we're going to expose it today, okay? But uh, let's remind ourselves, before we begin that historical journey and investigate this lie, uh, let's remind ourselves where we get the teaching of the rapture, including the pre-trib, from. Last time I checked, it didn't come from John Darby. It came from... The Bible, I praise you, Pastor Bobby. I didn't even have to do that fake voice. That's right. But it's from the Bible, right? This, let's, again, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's just take a look at one of three of the major passages telling us where do we get this idea from, uh, you know, the, the rapture and certainly the preach. Well, it's from the Bible. I didn't get it from a man. I didn't get it from John Darby. I didn't get it from Schofield and all these other accusations out there. I got it from God, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. Let's go ahead and stand as we read the word of God. But here's what the scripture says to you and I, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who what? Fall asleep. Now he's talking about Pastor Billy's sermons, right? Wrong answer. And it's not even funny. Why are you laughing? Don't make me, well, I guess that wasn't too bad. I guess that was better than the blue jacket. But anyway, that's right. Uh, No, about those who what? 
basically it's a vernacular for who've already died. They got saved, but they already died. Anybody know any Christians who died? Yeah, okay. So we don't want you to be ignorant about those, those who basically fall asleep or die, or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him, those who have died. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are what? Still alive, who are left to that coming, the rapture, the coming of the Lord, okay, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep or die. And here's the order in which it's going to happen. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And who goes first? The dead in Christ rise first. They get their resurrected bodies first. Then after that, we who are what? Says it again, still alive and are left will be what? Caught up, harpazo in the Greek, from the Latin translated, uh, translates it to raptura, which is where we get the English word rapture from. Caught up or raptured, okay, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord, how long? Forever. Therefore, you're in a heap of trouble. You're going to be stuck here for seven years, man, with with the seven-year tribulation, you're going to see the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation. You better get some survival gear, man. You better guy bug out shelter. I hope you got a Jeep with four-wheel drive, man. And you better get one that's got a muffler thing on top in case you got to go through the water to survive and make it past the river. Ah! Oh, I'm sorry, what's it say? Encourage one another with these words. You may be seated if you can. Right? It ain't encouraging if you're in the seven-year tribulation. Jesus said it. I didn't. It's the worst time in the history of mankind. But we've already dealt with that, okay? But again, this is just one. Where you guys are getting this from John Darby in 18. No, I'm not. I'm quoting Bible. And that's just one verse. First Thessalonians 4. We saw it also occurs in John chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're getting it from. But these guys, again, they persist. What's the biblical phrase? Dumb on purpose, okay? And they not only say, oh, yeah, but you got it from John Darby. But he, he specifically got it from this Scottish girl named Margaret McDonald, right? And for the life of me, folks, I can't believe people still propagate this lie. It's the, it's the, the biggest baseless joke. I, I just, anyway. And, and again, the only reason I think it sticks is because it's the old axiom. You repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, often enough, people believe it. And it's just, they, they need, it's just crazy, okay? But here's basically how their uh, accusation goes, right? Maybe you've heard this. The pre-trib rapture idea was started by a Scottish girl named Margaret MacDonald, who in 1830 received a demonic vision with her demonic charismatic activity. And that vision included a vision supposedly of the last days, and it included this idea of a pre-trib rapture. And then later, this demonic vision from this demonic girl with this demonic charismatic practice. She influenced another guy in that area named John Darby. And he bought into that demonic lie. And then he's the one who has secretly infiltrated the church with this demonic act. Have you heard that? I'm telling you, that thing is so popular out there. It's crazy. And it usually comes across, <laughs> we got you pre-tibbers on this one. <laughs> 1830, that's when it came out. Margaret McDonald, don't tell me. I can't wait to get to this because this is the biggest joke ever. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll try to be kind. You're either the worst researcher ever and you need to get a new job. You're not good at this. Or you're a liar. And you're resorting purposely, being dumb on purpose with lies just because you want the church to be in the seven-year tribulation. Last time I checked, that's not what Christians are supposed to do, right? But let me, let me, let's begin to deal with that. Is it true? Because that's the accusation. Did John Darby really get this from this demonic girl in 1830? <laughs> no, not even close. First of all, this accusation was popularized by this guy. His name is Dave McPherson. 
You may or may not have heard of him. He's showing thumbs up, but really, as we're going to see in a moment, you should be putting thumbs down. Because this guy, and I'll be kind, well, I don't know how to say it. He's a liar, right? But this is the guy who helped popularize over the last 25 to 30 years this lie that the pre-trib rapture started with John Darby in 1830, Margaret Dahl, blah, blah, blah. came from this guy. Now, I'm not embellishing this, not one iota. It's on record in print. This guy, believe it or not, he had an ulterior motive to come up with something to make the pre-trib rapture look bad and spurious and conspiratorial, and that's why we got to reject it. Believe it or not, this guy blamed almost all his life's problems and pain, I kid you not, on the pre-trib rapture. The reason why his life was so messed up is because of the pre-trib rapture. And he had to find a way to destroy it, including coming up with this lie about Margaret McDonald and John Darby, okay? In fact, let me give you some of that proof. Uh, Dave McPherson, he's an individual who loves to hate the pre-trib rapture. In fact, he keeps thinking up new ways to express his disdain for the pre-trib rapture, including falsifying the history of the pre-trib rapture like this accusation with John Darby and Margaret McDonald. He purports that the doctrine of the pre-trib rapture originated by a young Scottish girl named Margaret McDonald in the spring of 1830. And he propagates this lie in a, a number of uh, uh, publications such as the rapture plot, the unbelievable pre-trib origin, the three R's, rapture, revisionism, and robbery, the great rapture hoax, the incredible cover-up, and the late great pre-trib rapture. And why is he promoting these things out there? Because it's so true, it's based on the Bible? <laughs> no way, man. Watch this. The pre-trib rapture, he says, here's his rationale. The pre-trib rapture has been the great cause of disruption of my life. It started back in 1953. I'm not joking, I'm quoting. I had this jolting encounter with the pre-trib rapture. And what he's talking about, he was expulsed from a Christian school because he was teaching uh, something different than the pre-trib. Uh, and they said, that's not what we believe here, and you need to stop. He wouldn't stop, so they kicked him out, right? But then he said, listen, this experience was so devastating. It accounts for my setback in my Christian life. And because of this discouragement, a friend and I went out and got drunk in Mexico and passed out, and we had a brush with death. Oh, the preacher rapture made you go buy that alcohol and suck it down, right? Because that's part of the pre-trib doctrine. We just saw it first. And go down to Mexico and get drunk. With tequila. <laughs> oh, that's the tip of the iceberg. He blames everything on the preacher of rapture. And I quote, the preacher of rapture, I'm not joking wrong, he said was responsible for his mother's death. His sister's inability to have more children. His own failure to follow through as his calling on an evangelist. Okay, he even states, and I quote, his dog became demon-possessed. Just about the time he was about to write his first anti-preacher book, it savagely book his, uh, bit his arm. <laughs> several times when he's trying to write it. Doesn't sound like somebody's honest with the facts. It's his hatred for the preacher rapture, blaming all his problems on it, that became the source of his motivation to come out with this lie about John Darby, Mark McDonald. This is what it is. It's a joke, right? He's whooping this up in the air, right? He, and, and he can't prove it biblically, the other positions, because they don't line up with the Bible. And we're, we're, where do we get this from? We're not getting this from John Darby. We're not getting this from Scotland or a Scottish girl or a Scottish dog or whatever. We're getting it from the Bible. But see, he can't, you can't argue with that. So you got to come up with a lie. And that's what it is. And it's out there just circulating, going on and on and on. Okay. But, but again, but let's, let's put it to the test. That's, how do we know it's true? Right? Well, let's examine that. First of all, 
Uh, if you read the so-called vision, I couldn't wait to get to this. If you read the so-called vision of Margaret McDonald, because actually it's on public record. We were actually filming in Port of Scotland where she was born and she went to the church, that area where she had. We were actually there on location. You can get a copy of her vision this recorded for you. It's public knowledge. So we got a copy of it. And when you look at it, it's not even pre-trib. In the, I'm, I'm joking. It's actually their position. And yet this is somehow supposed to be the origin of the pre-trip. Let me prove that to you. I'm just going to give you just a couple extracts from her so-called vision. Quote, the tribulation being the, quote, fiery trial, which is to try us, the church, and which will be for the, quote, purging and purifying of the real members of the body of Christ. What's that? That's post-trib with the partial rapture. Last time I checked, that's not pre-trib. Hello. It gets even worse when you actually read the actual vision. She goes on to describe the period as being from the Antichrist, when Satan will try to shake in everything that we, the church, have believed. The awful sight of the false Christ will be seen on the earth, implying the church. And goes on and says, nothing but the living Christ in us can detect this awful attempt of the enemy to deceive, and then included herself among the so-called faithful who will be, listen, tried after the Antichrist has been revealed during the tribulation. That's not pre-trib. That's your position. And yet you what? You say, the pre-trib position. The pre-trip position started from Margaret McDonald in 1830, and it came from this demonic vision. It's not there. And that's why I sit there and say, I, I, what? How could you repeat this? Have you never even read? You're either the worst researcher in the planet. It's time to get another job. Or you're just repeating a lie that was popularized by Mr. Demon-Possessed Dog. <laughs> and you're not even investigating the facts. It's crazy, folks, and what's going on there. And somehow this influenced John Darby to think pre-trib, and it's not even pre-trib, it's their position. If something were to actually influence John Darby, he should be a post-tribber. According to this theory, isn't it crazy? It's wild, folks. In fact, one guy says this, when one closely examines McDonald's vision, it becomes clear that her vision could not have been the pre-trib scenario. Any pre-trib raptures can tell you that the church has to be removed and will be removed before the appearing of the Antichrist. And furthermore, the evidence that Christians believed in the rapture long before McDonald does not seem to have sunk into their minds of those who oppose the rapture. They still teach that Margaret McDonald is the founder of the pre-trib rapture. Now listen, which means when someone is presented with overwhelming proof that they are wrong and they refuse to accept that truth, we can be certainly conclude that he or she is in spiritual darkness or what we just see is the scriptural term. You are choosing to be what? Dumb on purpose. I don't want to deal with the facts. No evidence points whatsoever to McDonald being the source of the pre-trib position. Every major prophetic author alive today claims it's what? It is the word of God is the basis for our belief in the rapture and dare I say the pre-trib position, okay? That's where it came from. It came from the Bible, not some Scottish girl in 1830 and it's just a bunch of lies. It's just propagating lies. In fact, I'll, I'll use this term. I call these guys not just tribulation wannabes, but this kind of behavior where you literally will just lie and repeat a lie and keep on lying and lying because you just, you just can't stand the preacher because it ruined your life and the dog got your hand. You know, said, what? My term for them is this. These guys are pre-trib Nazis. You think, well, that's kind of a harsh statement. No, because when you see what they're doing, it's the same thing the Nazis did to propagate their lie for Hitler. And I quote, one of the things that facilitated the Nazi rise to power in Germany was their propaganda approach, and here's what they did. Here's the modus of operandi. It's called the big lie. 
And here's what they did, and they did so well, they relied upon it. If you told a big enough lie often enough, then people would come to believe it. That's what the Nazis did, and they did it very well. Unfortunately, it worked. And it's the same thing with the anti-pre-tribbers. They've been doing this for the last 25 to 30 years. Their big lie is the origins of the pre-trib rapture came from Margaret McDonald and influenced John Darby. That's a lie, okay? But it's penetrated the thinking of many people to the extent that they have adopted it as if it were true. And it's not, okay? It's not even close. But let's go even further. It's also on record that Darby did know about Margaret McDonald. And again, we're on uh, site on location he was in southern England. We actually did filming by his gravesite there. And it's about a day's drive, a little less than a day's drive, uh, up to where she was at in Scotland. And so he didn't know about her, but it's on public record. He not only knew about her, but he denounced what she was doing with her so-called God told me to tell you ahead of it, the charismatic, charismatic stuff. He denounced it as demonic. It's on record. He wanted nothing to do with her. So he denounced her, not influenced by her but he couldn't even be influenced by her with the pre-trib scenario because it wasn't even pre-trib in the first place. It was post-trib with the partial rapture. Then on top of that, uh, it's now, it's part of record that, remember the accusation is it's 1830. It started in 1830. Okay, it's actually on record that John Darby rediscovered, he didn't invent the pre-trib rapture scenario, just like the Reformation, right? They didn't invent grace alone, faith alone, Bible alone, Christ alone, right? Once they got the hands on the Bible, began to read it for themselves, what a concept. The doctrines that were there the whole time were rediscovered. John Darby rediscovered after the ecclesiastical cover-up of the Catholic Church, the doctrine of the rapture, okay? Listen, on record, when he was convalescing from a writing accident during December 1826 and January 1827, and he began to see that biblical truth as well as the distinction between Israel and the church. God's not done with the church. And that's part of the seven-year tribulation. So for those of you hooked on math, that's uh, three years prior to 1830. Folks, this whole thing is a big joke on all levels. None of it's true. And it's out there as the so-called, ah, I got you, preachers. One guy says this, if this is true, John Darby discovered it three years prior. He said, and there's every reason to believe it is, then all this origin of the rapture conspiracy theories fall to the ground in a heap of speculative rubble. Darby would have had at least a three-year jump on any who would have supposedly influenced his thought, making it, listen, impossible for the influence of these so-called theories to have any credibility, which again is a nice, long, drawn-out way of saying, you're, you're lying. Stop being a pre-trib, rapture, Nazi person. Stop. Knock it off. You're supposed to be a Christian. Why are you propagating a lie? Or I'll give you the basis. Why are you repeating a lie without investigating the facts? Right, dare I say, when you investigate it, as I did, then how could you keep supporting that? on purpose. I'll stand over here while the lightning bolt gets you because that's not how we're supposed to. We're about the truth. We're about this. I believe in the pre-trib rapture because that's what the Bible teaches. I didn't get this from John Darby. No, it's crazy, folks. So once you discover the facts, you can't keep doing that unless, of course, what's the scripture say? You're actually one of those people who deliberately forget you're being dumb on purpose. You just don't want to deal with the facts. And again, that's not how we're supposed to be as Christians. But let me give you one more. Because uh, they, 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 they hang on to this, a false accusation. They say, oh, yeah, well, I'll tell you what. John Darby's the guy that just started this. You know what I'm saying? Eight, 1830. And basically what they say this. See, see listen, uh, it, th- there is absolutely no evidence that the church, we know he was influenced by her, which is ridiculous because it wasn't even pre-trib. 
We know he was influenced by her because we see no teaching of the pre-trib, pre-mill doctrine, okay, prior to 1830. There's a complete silence. So we know that's when it started. Really? Well, these guys that make this false accusation uh, lose money all the time because they throw out bets. Watch this. Let me give you just two examples. Uh, uh, the, the anti-pre-tribbers, they attack the pre-trib position. They say that the premise is it, it didn't happen before 1830. One guy, John Bray, he, this guy is actually a Southern Baptist. He was offering $500 to anyone who could prove that someone, anyone, anywhere, at any time taught the pre-trib rapture doctrine prior to McDonald's vision 1830. Well, guess what? He lost 500 bucks. In fact, he admitted in his own newsletter, quote, then my own research indicated that it was Emmanuel Lacunza who in 1812 taught this theory. All right, so then you stop the lie, right? Oh, no. He quickly throws out another 500 bucks. I'll give you 500 bucks if anybody can find it before 1812. And I quote, I lost 500 bucks. Uh, I now have copies of a book written in 1742 to 1744 in England, which taught the pre-trib rapture before Lacunza. And on and on it goes. In fact, hang with me, okay? I'm going to give you guys uh, just a smidgen of the proof that the pre-trib rapture and the pre-mill position was taught throughout church history. You're going to see a period in the medieval times, the dark ages, when Catholicism took over, that it was far and few between because they had a clamp on the truth. But then when people got in the Reformation time, got back to reading the Bible for themselves, guess what came back on the scene? Right? But let me give you just some of that proof. Prior to 1830, nobody's ever talking about this. That's a lie, folks, once again. The early church, again, early church fathers such as Barnabas, 100 to 105, Papias, 60 to 130, Justin Martyr, 110 to 195, Irenaeus, 120 to 202, Tertullian, 145 to 220, Hippolytus, 185 to 236, Cyprian, 200 to 250, and Lactanius, 260 to 300, wrote on the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the central argument of the pre-trib rapture. Again, the last book of the Bible Revelation was written about 95, 96 AD. The canon was, uh, that's it. That's the last book. And then what, uh, one, starting from 100, just a few, they're, they're still continuing on with this. Sister to say, it's nowhere between eight, at, before eight, it's a joke. But let me get specific there with you, okay? Expressions of this can be found in Clement of Rome, Ignatius and Antioch, the Didache, Epistles of Armas. They all talk about imminency. You got to be ready at all times. The Didache is early, somewhere between 70 to 180. Uh, check it out yourself. Chapter 16, section one says, be vigilant over your life. Let your lamps not be extinguished or your loins ungirded, but be prepared for what? You know not the hour in which our Lord will come. What's that? Imminency, pre-trib, got to be ready. Folks, that was anywhere from 70 to 180, right? The first epistle of Clement, this was written 96 AD. Uh, Clement of Rome could very possibly be the same Clement mentioned in uh, Philippians 4.3 of a truth, said this, of a truth soon and suddenly shall his will be accomplished as the scriptures also bear witness saying speedily he will come and will not tarry. Tertullian, again, early church father says, but what a spectacle is that fast approaching advent of our Lord now owned by all, now highly exalted, now a triumphant one. Shepherd of Hermas speaks of the pre-trib rapture escaping this seven year tribulation. Watch this, you've escaped from the great tribulation on account of what? your faith, and because you did not doubt in the presence of such a beast. Go therefore and tell the elect of the Lord his mighty deeds. Say to them that this beast is a type of the great tribulation that's coming. If ye then prepare yourselves and repent with all your heart and turn to the Lord, i.e. get saved, what's the promise? It will be possible for you to escape it. Last time I checked, that's pre-trib. We're in the early church. Victorinus 303 wrote a commentary on Revelation, made the statement that reflects the idea the church will be removed prior to the tribulation. Ephraim of the Syrian, this is anywhere they say from 4th to 6th century, 
wrote a sermon entitled, as you can see, Sermon on the Last Times, the Antichrist and the In the World, on record, quote, why therefore do we not reject every care of earthly actions and prepare ourselves for the meeting of the Lord Christ so that he may draw us from the confusion which overwhelms the world, all the world. For all the saints and elect of God are what? Gathered when? Prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to the Lord. There's no evidence. 1830, that's the first time it ever appeared. You're lying. You're the worst research in the world. It's time to get a different job. We'll help you. There's lots of jobs in Vegas. Move to Vegas. But stop being a researcher or stop lying. You're being a pre-trib rapture Nazi. Knock it off. That's not how Christians are supposed to be. Now, let's go to the medieval church, right? This is by the fifth century. All millennialism, uh, mean negative, there is no millennium is what they taught, uh, began to take over by these two guys, Origen and Augustine, and the Roman Catholic Church began to be established. And once they began to be established, all right, uh, then guess what disappeared? The literal hermeneutic of the Bible, if you could even get a Bible, and then begin to basically, uh, the, the teaching of the pre-mill, pre-trip begin to go underground, right? And this lady said, well, here's why. Because these guys and the Roman Catholic Church, they switched gears, right? You don't believe in an imminent apocalypse and uh, because they believe it's just symbolic. You begin to interpret the scripture symbolically, allegory, including uh, prophecy, right? And Augustine declared that the revelation of John was to be interpreted symbolically rather than literally. And for most of the Middle Ages, the church councils, the Catholic church, and theologians considered eschatology what? Abstract and speculation. So once the Roman Catholic Church took over, if you could even get a copy of the Bible, by the way, which by the way, uh, as we talked before, the Roman Catholic Church deliberately, and this is even prior, deliberately kept the Bible in Latin. 1229, they made the decision, all copies of the scripture, which there's not a, wasn't a ton back then. Everything had to be handwritten. This is pre-Gutenberg press. You and I can go get uh, how many different kinds do we want? But even if you could find one, they deliberately said, keep it in Latin. And the reason why is because the language began to switch to English. People didn't know Latin except for the Roman Catholic priests. So even if somehow, some way you were to stumble across, including the kings that were being ruled by the Vatican, right? Even if you can come across the Bible, you can't read it. It's like you and I going to buy a Bible in, in Chinese. It's a Bible, but I, I, I can't read it. So on top of them, keeping the Bible covered up so the average Joe couldn't read it for themselves, even if you could, they taught, oh, no, you don't take those passages literally, but spiritually. And in fact, got, there's some people in the church today still believe that the book of Revelation is not to be taken literally. Really what it is, it's symbolic of the struggles that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is where it came from, right? It's a cover-up. They covered it. And so here's the point, Right? So guess what? You're not going to expect to find a ton of pre-trib, pre-mill once the Catholic Church took over. About the 400s, right? The birth of the first pope, then here comes the Catholic Church. We entered into what's called the Dark Ages. And the reason why it was spiritually dark is because they kept the lid on the scripture, right? Okay, however, we do find that those who did dare at the risk of their lives did get the Bible. Guess what? They came out, pre-trib, pre-mill because that's what the Bible teaches, including such people as these. You might've heard them in church history, the Albigenses, the Lombards, the Waldenses, they were attracted to premillism, but little is known of the details. Why? Since the Catholic church destroyed their works when they were found. And they didn't just destroy their works. They murdered these people by the tens of thousands. They literally hunted them down like dogs. I'm not being exaggerating. No hyperbole, study yourself. They murdered tens of thousands of Christians who dared say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ alone. I'm going to follow the Bible alone. This is even pre-Reformation. 
By the tens of thousands, they murdered them like flies. So guess what? I don't expect to see a whole bunch of evidence because they were out there not just burning the evidence, but burning the people who believed it. That's what was going on. That's why it's called the Dark Ages, folks. Right? Let's go on. But we do still find some. I just want to give you some examples. God's always had the thread. Uh, this guy, Abbott uh, Silfred, Latin Codex uh, Amiatinus in 697 uh, wrote statements that distinguished the rapture from the second coming. Uh, a brother, Docino, in 1307, made the distinction between the rapture and the second coming. And we know two things uh, from this guy. First, he believed that the purpose of the rapture was to be related to the escape of the saints from the what? The end time tribulation and the persecution of the Antichrist. What's that? That is, even in the midst of the dark ages, the pre-trib rapture. Second, he also believed there'd be a significant gap of time between the rapture of the saints to paradise, i.e. heaven, and their subsequent descent to the earth. We're in heaven for seven years during the seven-year tribulation. There's a time frame, and then we come back at the end. Okay, again, but again, you're not going to find a whole lot of that because the Catholic churches cover up, okay? It wasn't until the Reformation when they began to, in mass, begin to break away. The reason why they broke away is because a lot of the reformers used to be, like Luther, a Roman Catholic priest. And he did know Latin. And he comes across what the scripture says, that the just will live by faith, the doctrine of faith alone. And then he came across Christ alone and the Bible alone, right? Faith alone, all these, right? And, and so he broke away because, he, and then he realized, well, uh, listen, the average Joe doesn't know Latin. So what'd he do? Well, he was German, so he began to do it in German. And then you got all the other reformers begin to translate in the common language of the people today. And guess what happens? They begin to not just break away and not only rediscover the truths that were in the scripture all the time, grace alone, faith alone, but guess what came back? Pre-trib, pre-mill, because that's what the Bible was. There was a cover-up that whole time. Let me give you some examples, at least three factors. First, the reformers went back to the sources, i.e. the Bible, and guess what they realized the Bible was saying? Again, pre-trib, pre-mill, including the future event called the 70th week of Daniel. Number two, they repudiated the allegorization that the Roman Catholic Church had, right? That no, no, you can't take that literally. In fact, that, that this is also the backbone of the lie uh, that we've seen many times before, replacement theology. They don't take those passages literal that God's not done with the Jewish people. No, we the church are Israel, the new Israel. And so they rejected that because that's not how you interpret the scripture. And third, they began to begin in contact with the Jewish people. They began to learn Hebrew themselves, began to master that as well, and they begin to realize, hey, I guess uh, we should take that literal too, including Daniel and God not being done with the Jewish people and he's going to fulfill his promises made to them all as well. So that's why it all started to come back. Now, let me give you some examples. John Calvin, during that time, uh, he began to write statements like this. Once you got back to the Bible and let it speak for itself. He says, be prepared to expect him every day or rather every moment. As he has promised that he will return to us, we ought to hold ourselves prepared at every moment to receive him. Today, we must be alert to grasp the imminent return of Christ. Sounds like somebody's been reading the Bible. Yeah, what a concept. Also on the rapture passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, here's what he said. He said, Paul means by this to arouse the Thessalonians to wait for it, nay more, to hold all believers in suspense that believers might be prepared at all times. If you're going to be prepared at all times, that means it could happen at any time, which is the pre-trib scenario, right? Martin Luther, another reformer, in his sermon, The Consolation, uh, declared the hope of Christ's return is an absolute necessity for the Christian. And by the late 1500s and 1600s, now it begins to spread. Now people, listen, begin to read the Bible for themselves, the 1,000-year cover-up by the Roman Catholic Church began to be undone. In fact, I'll I never forget when I was pastoring in New York, when I was pastoring in New York, 
I, I had heard a, 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 a Catholic broadcast, radio broadcast. There's a huge Catholic area there in Western New York where I was pastoring. I had no idea what I was stepping into. It was like preaching the concrete, man. So, but praise God, God did a great work. I had to get loud, but, but uh, you know, God's spirit saved a lot of people. That was great. And so God did a great ministry there. But I'll never forget, I'm listening to uh, just to see what the other side's, you know, propagating out there. I was listening to this Catholic channel. And you know, to this day, this wasn't that long ago. You know, to this day, they call you and I, they call us the Protestant experiment. Like we're just this little historical aberration and that we're going to come back to the mother church in no time. Now, if you look at the ecumenical movement and the church is going into apostasy, what are they doing? They're going back to Rome. They're going back and working with Catholicism that has never given up these unbiblical beliefs, not just about the rapture and the millennium, but about we need to submit to a man, uh, the Pope, the Vatican, an organization, instead of this. We're, we're, the, the apostasy of the church is literally taking us back into the spiritual dark ages. Isn't that wild? So they're literally just biding their time, waiting for the rest of us to go apostate and join hands with Rome. Listen, Rome is never going to change. You're the one that's changing, and you need to knock it off and get back to the scripture. And you know what's sad? Our brothers and sisters in Christ, the reformers, were brutally murdered, burned alive, beaten, skinned alive, tortured. Just so we could have a copy of the Bible in our own language. And you have the audacity to go back to those people. False gospel, false teaching, false hierarchy. And we're the ones that are strange. Okay, but let's continue on. Once people got a copy of the Bible, it continued on. The Westminster Confession, written the Puritans, 1600, said, quote, men should shake off all carnal security and be always watchful because they know not at what hour the Lord will come. Increase Mather, he's a pastor, skull. The first president of Harvard, boy, have, how far have they fallen? They're doing satanic black masses there now, uh, apparently, unfortunately. Uh, he's, he's not the, the, the founder was John Harvard, Reverend John Harvard. This was the first president of Harvard. And he said, quote, the saints would be caught up into the air beforehand, thereby escaping the final conflagration. What's that? It's called the rapture, the breach of rapture, okay? Remember, what's the accusation? It never happened. You can't find it anywhere prior to 1830. You liar or rotten researcher, grab a new job. This guy in his book, Approaching Deliverance of the Church, John uh, Peter Giroux, 1687, taught that the Christ would come in the air to the rapture of the saints and return to heaven. Philip Dodger's commentary on the New Testament, 1738, he used the term rapture. Why? Because it comes from the Latin raptura, which comes from the Greek harpazo, and spoke of it as imminent. He believed it would precede Christ's descent to the earth at the time of judgment, and the purpose was to preserve believers from that time of judgment. John Gill's commentary on the New Testament, 1748, stated about the rapture passage, Paul is, quote, teaching a doctrine that is something new and extraordinary. He calls it the imminent translation of saints, the rapture, he calls it that word too and calls for watchfulness because it will be sudden and unknown beforehand when least expected, which last time I checked is the pre-trib position. In fact, he begins to outline it. The Lord will descend in the air, number one. Number two, the saints will be raptured in the air to meet him. Number three, Christ will stop in the air. Number four, he will not descend on earth because it will not be fit to receive him. He doesn't come back to the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. He'll take up the saints with him into the third heaven until the general conflagration and the burning of the world is over. In other words, during the seven-year tribulation, he, God, will preserve them from it, us, the church. Then shall all the elect of God descend from heaven to earth with Christ. That's Revelation 19. We come back 
with him. And then finally, James McKnight, 1763, and Thomas Scott, 1792, both taught that the righteous will be carried to heaven where they will be secure until what? The time of the judgment is over. But that's right. Don't confuse me with the facts. You guys know it's true. Your pastor's lying to you. You're one of those apostate churches. You guys are just guilty of escapism. You don't want to suffer. You can't suffer like me. I'm going to prove how spiritual I am. I'm going to be in there. We all know it's true. John Darby got this from this Scottish girl with his demonic vision, this pre-trib. You liar. I'll just say it again. You're the worst researcher in the universe. Please let us help you get a job. You're not good at that. Or you're a liar. And you're not just a tribulation wannabe. You're a pre-trib Nazi man. Repeating the lie, the big lie, loud enough, long enough, often. It's totally baseless, but who cares? It works because people start believing it. And that's what's going on. It's nuts. And what's really sad is these people are actually doing the same thing that the Catholics do. They're covering up this biblical truth. You see, Roman Catholicism doesn't want people to read the Bible. I I, I work with uh, Catholics when I was uh, working full-time in the day and going to school at night for my biblical training, and they would make no bones about it. In fact, they would look at me and almost persecute me for reading my Bible during breaks. And why? And I'm like, what do you mean I can't read the Bible? You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't. And at first I thought they were joking. What gives you the right? Who are you? You can't. Only the priests can rightly interpret. They've been brainwashed to not pick up the Bible. This is still going on today, folks. Right? But you, do you think when you go to a, a, a Catholic service that you're going to say, and now turn to Romans chapter 1, and let us teach the wonderful doctrine of the just shall live by faith. You're never going to see that. It's all this religious fluff. Right? Why? Because they don't want people to read the scripture for themselves, not only because they're going to come out pre-trib, pre-mill, but all kinds of other things. Their false teachings falls flat on their face. And folks, that's what these guys are doing. They call themselves Protestants. You're covering up the truth just because you don't want it to be true. One guy puts it this way. He says, the rapture of the church is clearly not a new doctrine invented by a Scottish schoolgirl or by John Darby or the other one, C.I. Schofield, it's his conspiracy. For 1,400 years, it was a lost doctrine along with the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith that was covered up by the Catholic Church. Martin Luther did not discover a new doctrine when he read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He rediscovered what the Vatican had long buried during the Dark Ages. That's why it was called the Dark Ages. Luther rediscovered the light of the truth that salvation comes through grace and by faith, not by paying money to a priest, not by having to do works or pay even more money to get out of so-called purgatory, because that's not true. And so to the degree that one can credit Schofield or Darby or whoever, it can only be for the rediscovery of a doctrine that was there the whole time, but buried by the Vatican for the same reason. Because if the Lord is to come for living saints, then the Vatican dogma, including works, including them being the spokesperson, including them being the vicar of Christ in place of Christ, falls flat on his head. No wonder they don't want you to take the Bible seriously. No wonder they don't want you to believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ because they're too busy being the false Christ. The spokesman for... And here's my point. These so-called Protestant anti-pre-tribbers Rapture, pre-trib, rapture Nazis, you're doing the same thing. You're covering it up because you just don't want to receive that biblical truth. 
I'll stand over here while the lightning bolt gets you. That's not how we're supposed to interpret truth as Christians. But again, we've examined for many weeks our position, which I think, I think we've done a pretty good job of defending. The rapture is not just real, but what does the scripture teach? Scripture teach, not me, not John Darby, not C.I. Schofield. Scripture teaches the pre-trib scenario that we're gone prior to the seven-year tribulation. We've examined this. We've answered all their accusations. But I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I think it's only fair that if you've been putting our position based on the scripture under the microscope, how about we take a look at your position? How about we take a look at the post-trib position? That says, oh no, the church is there through the whole seven-year tribulation. And here's your blessed hope. You get all the way to the end. You make it somehow all the way to the end. If you could survive, <laughs> then here's your reward. And you come right back down. That's what they believe. Or no, no, let's do the pre-wrath position. That was started in 1990. Talk about a recent teaching. 1990, that basically from our timeline says, oh no, the church is going to go three quarters of the way through the seven-year tribulation. And then you're out of here. And you're... No, no, how about the mid-trib position? That says, oh, no, no, we're going to be here for the first half. And then in the middle, we get out of here. How about we take a look at their positions and examine them to the scripture? How well do they stand up? It rhymes with, not at all. But we're out of time, so we'll have to deal with that next time. But again, in closing, folks, are you ready for the rapture? Again, as Christians, we say, oh, of course, that's the right answer on the test, right? Of course, I'm going to say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm ready for that. Listen, it's one thing to say it, Remember, God's omnipresent. He's watching us every day. It's another thing to show that you're raised for the rapture. The proof's in the pudding. So if you really are ready for the rapture, then what are you going to do? Are you going to be living for this wicked world system, goofing off, backsliding? Or are you going to get busy loving Jesus, serving Jesus, growing in Jesus, telling as many people as you can about him? Why? Because there's still time for them to get saved. But guess what? One day we're out of here. And that's good news. But we're on a giant rescue mission. We will show we're ready for the rapture as Christians by telling as many people as we can. But again, maybe you're here today. I don't know your heart. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. Maybe you, maybe you got that mentality of the Catholics that think that you have to do certain good things in order to get to That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says there is no one righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter three, the wages of sin is death. I deserve to die and go straight to hell for what I've done. And so does everybody on the planet. But the gift of life, is the gift of eternal life, is through Jesus Christ alone. Nobody can get there on your own. There's only one way out. There's only one way to be saved. And that's through Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty to our place on the cross. And, and, and so if you think you're trying to be a good person, you ain't going to heaven. I go to church services. If that's what you're relying on, you ain't going to heaven. I try not to beat my dog. At least he's not biting my hand like the other guy. <laughs> that's not how you get there. Right? Oh, well, at least as long as I got 51% good works and 40... No, it's not some mathematical equation. God is holy, which means without sin, we are not. Have you ever sinned? We've all sinned. You can't get there on your own. That's why it is by grace through faith, through the cross of Christ. And if you've never truly asked Jesus to forgive you, if you never truly trusted solely on his work, not yours, the Bible says if you never confessed him as Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the grave, then guess what? You're not saved. And you know what? The rapture could happen today. And if you're not saved, you're going to be left behind. And, oh, and speaking of big lie, it's going to start off with a big lie. Antichrist. All those nasty, fundamental, wacky Christians are gone. 
Finally, those people poking us in the eye every week going, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, that's wrong. They're gone. (laughs) And this guy appears on the planet, and he does what nobody could do. They've been working on it for decades with no results except this guy. He did it. He brought peace to the Middle East with this covenant with Israel for seven. See, it starts off with a lie, this false utopia. But after that, bang, you find out real fast it is a lie. And you made the biggest mistake of your life, and you're left behind. You don't want to be there, like this video shows. We'll close in prayer after this. happen that fast too. The rapture. It could happen today. And if you're not saved, your time is running out. God doesn't tell us the exact day nor the hour. But how many signs has he got to give us? I can't even keep track of them. That is getting close. Church, we need to finish strong. 
We wouldn't want our worst enemy in that time frame. We're on a giant rescue mission. May that be our heart cry as we long for his appearing. But again, if you're here and you're not saying, what in the world are you waiting for? Take the way out through Jesus Christ now. Time is running out. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior, if we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. 
The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.